What would you do if you got scammed? Would you suffer in silence or would you do something about it? Well, I got scammed once and this is the story of what I did. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a true crime podcast from The Ringer. And for seven episodes, we're hunting a con man, a guy with a lot of aliases, a guy who's ruined a lot of weddings. And with the help of some friends, I just might be able to catch him. Listen to The Wedding Scammer on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me, Rob Mahoney, Big Waz. Gentlemen, the NBA is back. Waz is live tweeting. Everything is right with the world. I was really excited about Dame's first game with the Bucks uh, and just watching, honestly, Philly's first game without James Harden. It was just fun, you know, fun stuff all around. Just exciting way to start the season, honestly. Really exciting start to the season. And exciting that we get to diagnose it here together yet again on a beautiful Sunday morning. I I just like a little extra quality time with my favorite slob wizards, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're the uh, you're the master slob wizard, I would say. I'll take oh, it. Oh boy, Lord have uh, mercy. Shouts, shouts to John Hollinger. Yeah. Just king uh, shit from John, honestly. But also king shit, I must say, on a on a very different note, from our friend Waz. Waz, I have to ask you about mm. this this cat architecture you have invested in as the, <laughs> as the cat daddy yourself. Can you please walk our listeners oh through what is now so, a fixture in your living room? So I'm one of these people that if I get an email from Uniqlo or if I get an email from Wayfair, in this case, about a sale, I'm going to check out what the sale is. And Wayfair sent me a sale about these cat, this cat furniture. And I was like, 70 bucks? I mean, it seems like a steal. <laughs> like this thing at the Petco around the corner from my from my um house would probably cost like 200 bucks. No lie. How and tall so is when, this thing? It looked like five, six feet tall. 
it, it's it's like seven feet tall. <laughs> it's like the Victor like Wembenyama, yeah, the Victor Wembenyama cat towers. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It, it took me an hour plus, uh, during which I was sweating like a pig at various points. <laughs> which I installed this thing by myself. But yeah, the, the cat is really loving it. Um, at first it was just like whatever. I'm just gonna chill on the first floor hammock. But now Mimi's just doing everything with this thing. I wish the audio listener only people right now could see just how enthusiastic Rob is about <laughs> this cat city that that Waz has constructed. Yeah, it was crazy. It, it was really, really crazy. Like, first of all, so the box comes to my door and like, you know, you order stuff online. You don't really know what you're going to get when it arrives at the house. And I'm like, damn, this is a big ass box. What is this? And it's heavy as all hell. And then that's when I saw the Wayfair and I was just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah, hour and, hour and change putting this thing together. There was definitely a point yesterday where I was like, I could probably take one of the floors down, you know, <laughs> like make this thing five and a half feet instead of seven foot plus. But mm. yeah, uh, the cat is just really, really into it at this point now. Well, let, let Mimi feel it out before you start downsizing. You never know which floor is going to prove to be the most essential. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what what a perfect metaphor for the start of a brand new NBA season. There we go. Am I right? You never know what floor is going to be essential. I guess the floor in this case are teams or players. We'll figure it out on the fly. Um, but we have assembled here today, second week in a row on a Sunday, to go through our opening takeaways from the first week-ish of the NBA season. Uh, we all came with three apiece. Um Let's just dive in now. I think I, I have to start, if only because the first team on my list uh, has certainly been the buzziest team over the past couple of days, and that is the Chicago Bulls, who have had perhaps the most interesting, most chaotic one and two start to an NBA season that I can ever remember. And so in their first game, which they lose to the Oklahoma City Thunder, forces the quickest players-only meeting perhaps in history, Game number two against the Raptors was a complete vomitorium in which I had never seen two teams try to throw away a game <laughs> at the same time. Uh, somehow the Bulls come on top of that. Uh, and then they play the Pistons, a game in which Zach Levine scores 51 points but zero assists Legendary. Uh, and a real throwback to nineties basketball. Uh, and then yet again, after the game, we got a, Oh, we need to figure this out sort of vibe from uh, the principals there, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine. Um, so I find the bulls interesting, not only in that regard, but for two reasons, bigger picture. One, they're kind of the litmus test for some of these younger teams that are trying to break into the playing field. If only because we expected the Bulls to be kind of in that mix perpetually, unfortunately. And so like, if they're not going to be as good as we think, like maybe the team like the Pistons who we'll talk about later could break in. But also you got to start wondering, Rob, if the Bulls are kind of the dark horse team, maybe in the James Harden mix, maybe the Malcolm Brogdon mix, because if things get so dark so quickly, it seems very clear that Zach Levine, first and foremost, might be advocating for some more help here. He's, it certainly looked like he needed it against the Pistons. Like It was jarring watching mm -hmm. that Chicago-Detroit game on Saturday night. I think in part because the Pistons just had so much clearer an idea of who they were and how they wanted to play. And the Bulls, aside from Zach Levine just going off, which I have to say, Zach Levine in the flow, on fire, just one of my favorite players to watch in the league. Like, an incredibly smooth jumper, 
such such like an aesthetically pleasing game. Yet they got 51 from him and the Pistons were in control. The Pistons were yeah. holding them off at arm's length. And this is a Bulls team that, as you said, Justin, like we, we expect to be kind of trustworthy in their mediocrity. <laughs> sure. Something doesn't really smell right here. I, I don't know exactly how they got to this point, but it feels like they were kind of trying to balance out their offense and defense a little bit over the summer. And they wound up not being very good at either at this point, which is a huge concern whether you think James Harden is a solution or not. Yeah, I I think the lack of playmaking sort of sticks out, right? Um, DeMar DeRozan is their best passer by far. It's not even close, right? Uh, Even some of the guard-sized people like Kobe White or whatever, like he's not going to be setting you up like he's John Stockton. It's DeMar DeRozan and nobody else. Zach Levine, you mentioned the zero assist. That's never really been his game. Um, this sort of playmaking sort of role. It's like he goes out there and he tries to fill it up and he's been damn good at it throughout the course of his career. But again, I don't, I'm, I'm not that surprised, right? This is a fairly older team in the core. None of their young guys have taken a, a huge leap forward in so much as they even could. I think, you know, I think the Patrick Williams situation, I think, I think we're done with that as a concept and it's as over. an idea. And so yeah. I, I'm not surprised. And we're going to get into the Detroit part of this game too, but like, th- this is what it is when they re up uh, Vucci main. And I, I don't know, some people were like, Oh, what a nice little deal that they got with, with the Vooch. And I'm like, what is this supposed to do for them? How is this a step forward for the team that basically, you know, hung around the plan all season long last year? I'm not, I'm not seeing how any of this is supposed to change given the personnel. Yeah. I, it seems like though, they're still stuck in the middle in a very weird way because that starting lineup is the old guard. It's, it's Vooch, it's Levine, it's DeRozan, guys who do not move at all on offense. Uh, and then the younger class is now starting alongside them with Patrick Williams and Kobe White, both of whom scored zero points against the Pistons while it's Zach tough. Levine had 51. Uh, I agree with Waz. I think the Patrick uh, Williams situation is pretty much kaput at the very least. He probably needs a fresh start or at the very least needs to be uh, diminished to uh, a backup role at this point, because that's not working. And then Pat, Pat Williams from the reports and the rumors out there, not looking for backup role money. I think we can confidently say he is, he is chasing a a big check. Good luck with that one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But even Kobe white, who I think like definitely has an impact on the game just by how quick he is. Uh, and how dynamic he is, especially in comparison to someone like DeRozan, who's just much more methodical, even Levine at times. Uh, but very clearly, Zach Levine is not a fan because at the very least, like one of my favorite things in general with the Bulls is just watching Zach Levine when Kobe White has the ball. And there was one instance in the uh, Raptors game where Kobe White was pounding the air out of the ball, Levine throwing his hands up like, what the fuck is going on here? And so... I, I think that something needs to happen. And the big like issue here is that when Alex Caruso comes off the bench and even at times when like Javon Carter, Tory Craig, who don't have uh, probably enough offense to really be a starter, uh, there's definitely a shift in the team that's noticeable. And I, I feel like at a certain point, like I, I don't know how they don't even just start Alex Caruso, let alone like maybe reach for a trade for a Brogdon, et cetera. It's mystifying why this is their starting lineup. Like Kobe White, 
I think has, has shown like real development over the course of his career so far, really stepped up in terms of being like an individual shot creator looking for his own offense. That's a sixth man to me, right? That is a prototypical, bring him in off the bench to spell Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, make him your secondary offense and plug in, whether it's Caruso, whether it's Javon Carter, like however you want to play that. Because as it stands right now, what's shocking was about DeRozan being their best playmaker is they don't actually let him playmake very often anymore. <laughs> right. This isn't San Antonio Spurs DeMar where right. he's like wheeling and dealing. There's just a lot of Kobe White initiating offense. And obviously in this one, there's a lot of Zach Levine going off on his own. But why does DeMar not have the ball in his hands anymore? So that's the thing. When, I think what Zach Levine is frustrated by is like you look at Kobe White and he's a point guard. <laughs> he looks like a point guard, but he does not play like one. He's a score first kind of guy. And that's why I think ultimately his destiny should be sprucing up the offense of bench lineups. I don't think he's your starter. And it's because, again, it's not as if he's going to go out and be head of the snake point of attack guy on defense. And then, you know, on offense, he lets everybody else play make. It's the opposite. He's like not doing anything on defense. And then it's like, all right, do this thing that you're also not good at, which is setting up people on the offensive end. He's obviously miscast. He should just be coming in and trying to fire. You know, I feel like over the years, he's developed his diversity of shot making. Like he's been a decent movement shooter, a decent pull-up shooter. Obviously, he's always had the spot-up game. But yeah, it's obvious Caruso should be in there. Given his backcourt mates, right? Whatever you want to call DeMar. I guess he's a forward since he doesn't shoot threes. But like Levine and 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 DeMar need to have the ball. And so Caruso, a guy who's an off-ball cutter, of course, going to take the, the plum defensive assignment as far as whoever is the most ball-dominant wing on the other end to relieve those guys. He seems like the obvious answer to what um to how those guys play but you know I don't make as much money as Billy Donovan so you know maybe he knows something we we don't well what he did seem to know was that he wanted Kobe White defending Cade Cunningham as the primary option and I, like Kobe White fought like he was he competed but like, yeah. if that's what you're going to ask him to do, why is Javon Carter, who's a much better defender not in that spot? Why is Alex Caruso, who's one of the best defensive guards in the league, not in that spot? It's it's mystifying because right now, this Bulls team was a top five defense beyond explanation last season. <laughs> right. right now, they look really soft and back-footed all the time on defense. And this is a team with, as we said, Caruso, Carter, Io DeSumo, who plays with a ton of energy and gets into it, Torrey Craig, another like high-effort defender. They force some turnovers when some of those guys are out there. That's really all they're doing defensively. They... They just looked hopeless in containing the juggernaut Detroit Pistons. Like, I cannot say it enough. And, <laughs> you know, by the grace of God and Alex Caruso, they managed to squeeze out that one win against Toronto. That's really all they have going for them. But I just don't understand how these matchups are, are supposed to work. Like, again, against Detroit, there were times where Zach Levine was guarding Isaiah Stewart on purpose. And Isaiah Stewart's just like, okay, I'm going to duck in right under the rim and get a layup. <laughs> like, this is not... like, there are guards you can do. Like, if you put Drew Holiday, if you put, you yeah. know, Marcus Smart in that situation, guys right. who are feisty and will fight for steals and entry passes, sure. But, like, yeah. Zach Levine's By not the way, built for that. By the guards who are out there to do that very thing. Right. 
It just seems like they're constantly fighting against what is the actual identity of this team, which is, as Rob alluded to, like the Caruso Pat Bev backcourt that like provided so much of that perimeter defense. And before that, the Lonzo Ball Alex Caruso duo that like just really energized that team. And like to a certain extent, we should mention that Lonzo Ball injury might just be the the fatal flaw, the Achilles heel of this team that they might not ever overcome. But I do wonder if they do something rash now as a result of this because Levine is upset and DeRozan's on an expiring contract. And so, I don't know, Waz, do you think that there's any salvaging left of this team? Do you think it is worthwhile even to keep going forward? You're already pot committed. Let's just actually keep going into the red, trade for a Harden or even in a worst case, like a Brogdon as like a stopgap. Do you think that makes any sense? Are you like, no, actually, you should go the opposite way. Let's rebuild already. I mean, I've, I've been thinking opposite way. Honestly, for a little while now, because, uh, again, if if the concept is that you're going to keep Levine at his number, DeMar and Vooch, then that means you're going to be, quote unquote, trying to win. So what kind of player do you even bring in? And quiet is kept, man. It's not like the Reinsdorf's like to break out the greenbacks here. That's <laughs> like they're sure. one of the cheaper ownership groups out there. Uh, go to that stadium. Um, it's not exactly in tip-top shape. Uh, they, they they don't like putting money into the team. So if, you, if you're going to tell the ownership group who's already not the most free-spending group of people that, yo, we're going to chase the eighth seed and be on the upper echelon of payroll in the NBA, that seems like not the best op, um, proposition. So, uh, and again, you know, people don't remember this, but I do. They weren't. They had to be dragged, kicking and screaming into that Levine deal. They weren't happy about that. And, and for this, and and to their credit, I will say that for this very reason, it's like so we're gonna pay a guy that much money who can't even take us, guarantee us a six seed. Really, that's what we're doing. And that was that was the argument they were trying to make through the press went around the time Levine got his deal. And, you know, I think the, the, the skepticism has been borne out. I, I don't see how you can see, um, see it any other way. So the idea that they're going to add salary to this team, add a James Harden who, again, is unhappy with his team because they didn't give him a big deal, I, I just, I don't know. I find that hard to believe. And Brogdon, do you really think Brogdon makes a difference on this team? No. Has he been making a difference in It's Portland? probably a Band-Aid <laughs> on a broken mean, leg. Yeah. No. You know, like, I just don't see it. I think it is time to just sort of sell this stuff for parts and, and try to keep it pushing. Here's the issue. I, I agree the more productive way is down rather than trying to move up. Like, they should, they should start to tear this thing down. The Bulls have been pretty mediocre. They have made one playoff in six years. They are just a couple years removed from being like, a regular 22 win team. So it's like <laughs> everything that they've built here has culminated in one postseason series. It's, it can be very hard for organizations to look at that and say, okay, we're going to tear it all the way back down to studs again. And we're going to, yep. we're going to go right back to being an, an 18 to 20 win team and hope we get the right luck with the lottery and hope we get the right guys with those picks. Cause as we saw with Pat Williams, sometimes you get the wrong guy. You know, sometimes you're in a spot where there, there are good players in that draft class. There are players who have certainly outperformed Williams. It just has not worked out. And I'm not saying it was a bad bet out of the gate. Like, Pat Williams had a lot of supporters around draft time. There were a lot of believers in what he could do. And he's had flashes of being a high-impact player. 
it just didn't it didn't work out. And so the idea of rolling back into that kind of lottery game and hoping that you don't hit Pat Williams kind of luck again, it's a it's a tough bargain, especially especially for a team like Chicago that should and could be doing better. Sometimes you draft Hashim to beat, you know. <laughs> hey, watch it. It's a UConn legend, man. <laughs> Who I have to say, even going into that draft, when when people were like, oh yeah, he's so good. Yeah, I was like, this dude cannot even catch a basketball. Like I used to make jokes about how that guy's hands were made of flubber. God. Um, <laughs> old wounds. Um, yeah, I could definitely see them doing something here. It is a little complicated just math-wise to get Harden in the mix there just because Kobe White is coming off of a, a new contract. Williams is still due a rookie extension, so his money is low. So it is complicated, but they do have two first-round picks off in the future. And man, I hope they don't do it because I agree with you guys. They probably need a wholesale rebuild, but I could see it happening. But uh, maybe we should turn now, Waz, to the other team that they played the other night, the Pistons, because a mu- much different story for our friends in Detroit. The bad boys are back, baby. You know? <laughs> um, no, I will say this, though. It's been cool to watch this start of absolute competence. It's easy to forget because of how dismal last season was, but we thought they were going to be respectable last year. Yep. We did. Like we they tried. Were like the we trendy, tried to wish this into existence. Yeah, they were the trendy, fun team last year. But Cade went down, and obviously the season went up in smoke. And he's looked good. Uh, I think he needs to get them turnovers down. He's close to like five a game, damn near. But, you know, he's eight and a half assists a game. Uh, about around 23 points. The three ball is falling early in the season. Uh, so he's he's looking decent. But what they're doing is they're doing it on defense. And to Troy Weaver's credit, if you've listened to some of the statements that he's put out when he's talked to the press, it's been about, yo, we're going to put a great defense together. We're going to put a committed defense together. Defense has got to be our identity. That's what's going to get us to respectability. He's been pounding that um, for a while now, and this thing is coming to fruition. Obviously, we get it. It's a very small sample size, three games, but they are fifth in the league in defensive rating right now, right? Um, The 101.5 defensive rating, that is Excellent. They're suffocating guys, even against the Bulls. Like the Bulls shot 40% from three that game. And they still couldn't get anything going, right? Kept them off the free throw line. These are the hallmarks of a sound, smart, defensive basketball team. And I say this to you all the time, Justin, but when Monty Williams was in New Orleans, nobody was calling him Red Auerbach. <laughs> like, no. in fact, That's for sure. people thought he was downright bad. That was his reputation. And, you know, basically since then, in Phoenix and now in Detroit, he's shown himself that he has grown exponentially as a coach and getting buy-in from these guys. It's a great story when a team could come from where Detroit has been to being like, all right, this is a team that's going to give you a goddamn game every single night. This is This is just great stuff, Rob. It's cool to see a Monty Williams team play very differently than his last one, right? Phoenix, mm. very fluid, democratic offense. Yep. Detroit is basically running like very heliocentric, Cade Cunningham, pick and roll, Cade pick Cunningham, and roll, pick and roll. Him. That's what I'm saying. Like he is, he has acknowledged we have this exceptionally talented pick and roll player. We are going to ride him. The, there are some spacing issues that come with that, and I, those are contributing to a lot of the turnovers we'll you're that. talking well, about. Mean, the, you know, the, <laughs> the defense is working right now, Rob. Don't worry about this. The defense <laughs> is working right now, and this is what's interesting, right? Like teams take after their best players in lots of ways. 
What's interesting about Detroit right now is Cade is more a cerebral player than he is like a bursty athletic one. But man, Detroit looks athletic as hell. Yeah. They, Asar Thompson, Jaden Ivey, Jalen yeah. Duran, like these guys are flying around. And, and like Isaiah Stewart. <laughs> on, like, genuinely, like kind of Taking a freak, corner threes. Yeah. Kind of a freak athlete in his own way, given that he can sure. move it the way he does at his size. But you just see like next level athletic plays from them. Asar Thompson, the way he moves through the lane. He does that thing that ridiculous athletes do where it feels like they're gliding as they go to the basket, right? Like DeJounte Murray always feels this way to me. It's just like the fluidity of movement and the burst of speed that they get when they're going to the rim. They're, it's, it's just so smooth. And, you know, Jaden Ivey's out there like trying windmill dunks, getting rim checked on windmill dunks. <laughs> but I appreciate the audacity. Like a Detroit Piston yeah. is attempting an in-game windmill. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's very cool to see the juxtaposition of Cade manipulating and slow playing these pick and rolls and finding guys and then all these like quick twitch athletes around him. It's it's working really well so far. It's it's almost OKC esque, dare I say. Mm. I, like well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> let's let's set the bar a little bit lower there. But I, I think Asar Thompson has been really surprising to me, just because I, I mean we don't do any draft prep. We kind of figure out these guys in the fly during their first season, and like, but the way that they were billed as a men Thompson was kind of the playmaker. Asar Thompson mm-hmm. was the guy who's the finisher. He's the guy who's going to do a little bit of everything. In a way, I, I've only watched the one game of. Amen Thompson, but he seemed a little lost in his first game in part because that's probably his role is used to being the initiator of an offense and driving offense. Asar just seems like he's instantly integrated himself by doing a little oh. bit of everything, flying around. I think he had 12 rebounds uh, in that Bulls game. Yeah, four averaging blocks about in, his, 11. in the opener. Yeah, that's insane. He's played, he's played three games so far. He has 32 rebounds. Like Amazing. incredible. Just a rebounding, defending, ball moving wing after my own heart. Like it is so fun yeah. to watch him play. Yeah, and what a perfect compliment to what Kate is giving them as that steady pick and roll operator, like you were saying. Yeah, and and again, we we don't need to harp on the fact that Isaiah Stewart is right now their most consistent three point shooter. Not gonna not gonna harp on that. Yeah, what do you no. think about that long term? Because they did the double big thing, but it's working a little bit better than I ever expected. It's working for now. It's working <laughs> yeah, okay. for now. Yeah, yeah I, I think, it, honestly, ahead, it wouldn't Ron. be as big an issue if they if it wasn't the double big thing and starting Killian Hayes at the same time, who is contributing. Yeah zero offensively right now like uh, you know can be a good pressure defender he's but playing his, he's playing his heart out on the ball Rob he's, he's <sighs> it's magnifique <Yeah. laughs> I think uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be shocked if we don't see some kind of lineup change once inevitably the Pistons hit you know a little bit of a skid offensively yeah. you know it's a little yeah. crowded the shots don't fall uh, the defense regresses a little bit against a tough opponent I, I think we're gonna see a change at some point I I just don't, I don't get that combination. I'm, I'm more in on Stewart at the four than I am Killian at the two. Mm. Yeah. You got well, You want to talk about Jalen Duran. So this is a natural. The floor is yours, Rob. I mean, dear Lord, like <laughs> <laughs> this is a teenager. Again, a literal teenager turns 20 next month. Mm-hmm. Looks like an absolute monster leading the whole league in rebounding right now, shooting 80% from the field couple of blocks, couple of assists per game. Of course, some young guy turnovers, like all that stuff is happening. I think it's just the leveling up for Duran between last season. I thought he was impressive. He looked promising. He was successful, but like successful almost in a vacuum where it was like this discrete thing that's happening on a bad team. 
And it wasn't really like contributing to winning. It wasn't facilitating to anything else. Now, he makes incredible finishes, obviously. He's the other primary half of all those pick and rolls. He spends basically every possession just screening for everybody. But he's at the center of this offense in a way that's like, oh, the gravity is starting to pay off. Some of those shooters are open because people are collapsing around him. Like, Cade is getting better opportunities because defenses are having to respect him. And he's finishing over and through like pretty good contests, to be honest with you. So I... I'm just, I'm very excited to see where Jalen Duran goes from here. It's exactly what you want to see in a young player from taking this like very specific but kind of immaterial production to something that feels a little bit more real. Yeah, I remember when I was 19, I looked exactly like that. Yeah. You know, I, I was ripped <laughs> like a bodybuilder. I was jumping out of the gym like prime Amari Stoudemire. But like, good God, this guy is incredible. And like, I think you you mentioned it there, just like his feel for for hitting the pass off the roll is also pretty good. I think he had three assists within the first six minutes yeah. uh, against the Bulls. And so not only is he Cade's like prime target and a very clear vertical spacer who can make the most out of Cade's best skills, uh, but also he could do a little bit of, of, of himself. And so, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting it this year this quickly, but good Lord, he's been incredible. I think defensively too, we're seeing some real growth from a guy who's like a naturally good shot blocker, as you said, an, an exceptional athlete is always going to have that part of him that wants to chase after blocks, but you can see the gears turning for him in making more just like honest vertical contests and not over pursuing when guys try to drive him. So it's going to be a work in progress all season long. Like he's not the anchor of an elite defense yet, no matter what Detroit's play has been so far. Like it's, it's, it's going to take some time, but the building blocks are here for him to be a really impactful player on both sides of the ball. And so much of, I think what it took to lock that into place is just having Cade back. Like having that level of playmaker changes what Jalen Duran means to an organization. And that plus Duran's own growth. I, I think we're just looking at a very sharp trajectory from here. If everything hits just so. And I, and I think we get a little bit too excited every time a big makes one freaking high-low pass and, like, we pretend <laughs> that he's freaking Vadi Divac. Who, me? <laughs> no. Right? Never. No, but he's doing he's doing different stuff. Like, he's finding guys on the short roll um, in the dunker spot and things like that. Like, he's doing, he's doing legit skill work, you know what I mean, floor game stuff. At his age, this point in his development that you should be really excited about. And again, because we typically don't see guys with biceps his size doing that kind of stuff, man. So I understand why why people should should be excited in Detroit for sure. Shout out to biceps. You know, it's about time somebody stood up for the people with, with big biceps. Yeah, God knows Ben Wallace couldn't hit nobody on no <laughs> short roll. <laughs> Well, speaking of bigs with preternatural passing, I feel like this is the time to talk about our Lord and Savior, Ben Simmons, who I regret to inform the haters <laughs> is back. Or at the very least, b back to being a useful NBA player. Yes. I'm not sure an all-NBA is, is ever going to be in the offing here, but in the game against the Mavs in particular, he looked like the Ben Simmons that I think everyone was hoping to get. Never the all-star, but the guy who is just so damn helpful in so many ways that he's clearly having a positive effect on winning basketball. I know that's damning with faint praise to a certain extent, but good <laughs> Lord, after the past couple of years with this guy, it's just awesome to see him defending Luka Doncic, defending Donovan Mitchell, looking spry and athletic, moving the ball, getting things going with handoffs. Now, would it be great 
if when he gets into the paint, he didn't have the wide eyes of someone who had just seen their mom walking in on them when he, they're beating their meat. Yes, wow. that would be great. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because he gets, sometimes he'll just get there and you're like, oh, you are the most athletic, probably biggest guy on the floor. Just dunk over this guy. And it just doesn't happen. <laughs> and so I don't know if that's ever going to change, but everything else seems to be falling into place. The near triple doubles, the almost 10 points. again. <laughs> but like I, I, for one am encouraged to see what we've gotten thus far. Never felt more connected to Ben Simmons in my life. Please continue. Please continue. That's all we needed to mend the bridge between you and Ben Simmons. Just a relatable anecdote. I too am encouraged. He's, he's played fairly well. I also knew from the second I saw that Nick Claxton was out and Ben Simmons was starting as a point center that we would never hear the end of it on this podcast because of you, <laughs> Justin. So congratulations good, for though. living up to your reputation. It, it was good. Yes, like, here's the thing. Yes, it's nice to see him guard Luka Doncic. How many points did Luka have in that game? Luca made four of the most outrageous three pointers in the end of that game that Sometimes I've literally ever them. seen. Sometimes the last one he made was kind of a one footed hook shot to win the game. And so like they a were 30, in that game, they probably should have won. Foot, 30 foot flailing one footed hook shot. Like absolutely. Yeah. I don't blame Brooklyn yeah. for losing that game. Like they were down several rotation players. The situation was what it was. Luca went off. It's crazy. I did think it was interesting that even in that game, a good Ben Simmons game. The Nets were taking him out in the last few minutes. In part, half-court offense, but also like, don't don't we want him for these big defensive possessions? And that's, you know, it, it was kind of the same thing in the season opener against Cleveland too. The Nets needed a stop coming out of a timeout. Donovan Mitchell is going to ISO. Who do you want on him? It wasn't Ben Simmons because he wasn't in the game. And then the, yeah, Nets, call, then the yeah. Nets called their own timeout. We need to score. Who's going to who's going to get us one? Who's going to create a shot? Not Ben Simmons cuz he wasn't in the game. Well, when you have Cam Thomas on your roster, okay, you kind of have fair. to get out of the way. Yeah. Literally right. the world's greatest living scorer. <laughs> right. Uh I think it's nice Ben Simmons, owner of a max contract, has made himself worthy of NBA minutes. It's nice. He's okay, congrats <laughs> Ben Simmons. You're a person who can be allowed on an NBA court credibly for minutes at a time. Congrats he's a serious on person that. now. Yeah. Yes, he's more serious than he was. But to Rob's point, it's like he's looking his best when you're not allowed to play your center because he's out. Right? Uh, sure. Like it, like that th- that's tough. That's a tough thing to square for a guy who doesn't play center who can't play center. Not that he doesn't. He he's not capable of being your center. I thought those were probably the best center minutes we've ever seen from Ben Simmons. Like he allowed the Nets to switch everything to play a defensive style that, you know, it didn't slow down Luca, but it did slow down some of the supplementary math stuff. Like the lob threats were kind of neutralized Mm. as a result of some of that. So yeah, nothing like exceptional from him, but being able to even plausibly play center in a game like that, even if it's opposite Dwight Powell and Grant Williams and guys like that, it's something. It's something. (laughs) Yeah. And I would also say that like, I agree with Waz's point, which is like, it's almost near impossible for to find the optimal setting for Ben Simmons to even be okay. Like it, it took the nets basically compiling every 
interesting above average three and D guy in the league on one team in order to have the switchability and everything and the shooting and whatnot in order to cover all of his deficiencies. But he happens to be on that team and he's playing okay. And so like at the very least it's, it's better. Than, it, yeah. than I think so, it was. So there's like a few guys, right, who play really credible sort of rim defending defense and don't mind as seven foot two guys staying at the three point line. It's like Miles Turner, Chris Stapps, like <laughs> I got yeah. nothing. It's not I got nothing list. after that. Beef Stew, v- Victor at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Victor Wembinyama, a freaking rookie. Sure, like, but the amount of centers who don't mind, and and I I don't even know that that's even true of people like Chris Stapps or even Miles Turner, because remember, he's been talking about, I got so many ball skills and all of this (laughs) stuff for years, like who don't mind staying out there forever so that Ben Simmons can sort of explore the studio space closer to the rim. Like, it's it's tough. But, you know, when when Claxton goes out, he can be his optimal self, um, which, look, the optimal Ben Simmons... I don't know how optimal that is for winning basketball, but that's neither here nor there. It's nice to see the guy actually, you know, not be a pumpkin. You know, yeah. happy Halloween, folks. <laughs> uh, Br- Brooke Lopez, we should say too, just because there's some Bucks Brooke fans Lopez, scre- screaming sure, yeah. in their car somewhere. Yes. Uh, but here, here's the thing. Like, not only are those guys hard to find, people who will be content to park themselves at the three-point line as bigs who can also be rim protectors, like Brooke Lopez is content to do it, but he's like just below the level of three point shooter you would really want him to be. Like mm-hmm. he's good, he's credible, but he's gonna hit in that like thirty three to thirty five kind of range percentile wise, right? Like the the really good shooters are usually too skilled to only want to stand out there, and so yeah. it it becomes That's a catch point too very quickly. Yeah. yeah. So now let's never watch a full Ben Simmons game and only digest him via highlights and don't look at his stat lines and just be proud of what he's done this season. I know that's what he would want us to do. (laughs) (laughs) I actually am legitimately proud. Like some of the, some of, you know, plays he didn't have to make, right? There's, there's the plays that are going to lead to highlights, but just stuff like one that comes to mind, like dead sprinting out to the corner to try to contest the Josh green three, right? Like that's little things that ultimately most people will not notice, but are really meaningful, not only in terms of how you perform in a game, but like showing your teammates, like I'm willing to do this stuff. Like I'm, yeah. I know, I know I have an all, all NBA, all-star level pass, but like I'm starting from the ground up here. And like, this is, this is what I'm willing to do for this team. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, It's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. 
So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken, and buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. Rob, do you want to go again with your next one? Yeah, I mean, let's flip just across the city. To, to another Jalen. I'm bringing three Jalens today. I learned that <laughs> there are a lot of Jalens in the NBA right now. Uh, we're going to Jalen Brunson, New York mm-hmm. Knicks, Jalen Brunson. Kind of an up and down start so far for New York overall. I think that we can get into that if you guys want to. But really one thing I want to zero in on. Two of Jalen Brunson's highest volume three-point shooting games of his entire career have come in the last week. Very interesting for a guy who's like so much of an interior guard, right? We associate with like getting into the lane, bumping guys, using footwork, getting to that floater. His his three-point attempt rate is just up so much. And in some of these games, like attempt like 12 threes in a game, which is just incomprehensible for the player we know or thought Jalen Brunson to be. But it's been interesting seeing kind of where those shots are coming from. One, I think it's just like a willingness to catch and fire more quickly and probably an encouragement by the coaching staff than what he has historically been. It, a lot of that's coming in transition too, which like the Knicks getting out and running is nice, especially if it can facilitate those sorts of shots. But really like defenders don't respect him the way that they probably should. Like there's a lot of going under screens for Jalen Brunson, miscommunicating and leaving him open, uh, doubling Julius Randle in the post and leaving leaving Jalen Brunson open. And I have to say, I'm a little confused by it because Jalen Brunson, although he doesn't have the reputation as a shooter, like this guy's a 40% three-point shooter. And the attempts have been low because he's a little smaller, so the shot is a little harder to get off. I think the book on him has been, if you can contest late, you can convince him to put the ball on the floor. But now what he's doing is he's doing that, like, I'm going to space the floor from three feet behind the three-point yes. line. And he's hitting those shots. And some of, the, some of the interior stuff isn't working for Brunson yet. The Knicks overall, I think, are still kind of figuring themselves out. But that's interesting. For a guy who was coming off a career year already, and if he's going to continue to hit at a 40% clip while also shooting more threes than he ever has before, I mean, if he doesn't get in the all-star game with that, I think something is wrong with our voting process at some point. So to me, this speaks to a guy who's trying to basically raise the level of his game. Um, if you guys remember, Dame Lillard did an interview um, where he talked about playing against Houston and he's like, I think I'm having a good freaking game. And they're just, Harden's just bomb, bomb, bombing away at us and they're beating us by 10, right? Um, and this is, is the is guy- Is this the fake interview that he has Oh my God. <laughs> I know and we want to talk about, let, let's say, we're going to talk about Dame okay, later. Let's, okay. let's save that for the Dame section. <laughs> but so again, this is, Dame is a guy who came into the NBA with a three-point reputation. And he felt like he needed to take his game to the next level. He needed to take more threes, right? And so that's what is happening um, to me with uh, with Brunson. He didn't make the All-Star team last year. Obviously, he wants, you know, to provide more winning basketball for his team. And he he's clearly identified this as a place that, yo, we can, we can make some gains here by me just shooting more. Just imagine that. <laughs> oh, my team gets better when I shoot more. You know, who doesn't want to hear that? 
But especially for a small guard, like so much of it is how do you shoot more, right? And for right. Dame, it was it was so much off the dribble. I think Brunson has shades of that, but also no assist pairing in the league this season has produced more threes so far than Julius Randle to Jalen Brunson. And that's one thing, you know, <laughs> we, we take stat. a lot of, we, t- we, we express a lot of skepticism about Julius oh, Randle on this Randall, podcast. Yes. I will say he, this is something he has done very consistently. He is right up there at the top of the league year after year in terms of bigs who create threes. It's, you know, Giannis, it's Draymond, it's Jokic, it's Sabonis, it's Siakam, it's him. Those are, that's kind of like the class of bigs who do this on a very consistent and regular basis. And so the fact that Randall is attracting a lot of attention, I think Brunson is, is understanding how he can play off it even better. So what I'm hearing is he's actually thinking ahead. And so when that's Joel Embiid kicking out of double teams, he'll be ready for those. <laughs> now, now we are talking. Okay, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, all right, Waz, you want to go? Yeah, uh, I, t- I talked about Dame Lillard. I've been talking about Dame Lillard all summer, all year, damn near. Uh, just the first game against the Sixers, the proof of concept was just just there. The Like having the ball in Dame's hands at the end of the game instead of Giannis or let's face it, Chris Middleton, who was who couldn't even be on the floor at the end of the game, usually his in-between game, pick and roll game, shot creation was their best crunch time offense. And now it's Damian Lillard. And again, they haven't even figured out their Giannis and Dame dribble handoff game. The pick and roll isn't as crisp as it's going to be. That damn double pick and roll that they do, Ooh, that they've that they whipped out court, the first game. Oh the Clippers God. play? Yeah. It is nuts, okay? Yeah. Um, just to see, because Dame didn't get a camp in. He's not in, like, peak shape yet either. And just to see what he could do in the first game, it just, you have to be excited as a Bucs fan to know how the Bucs have gone down in the past like how they lost in the past and to see Dame do that against the Sixers, a legitimate defensive team, that that was that was really fun. Some of the big shots, again, he's not going to make those every single game, but he's more than capable of it. And to build an offense around defenses knowing what this guy can do from 27 feet out and you got Giannis, this is, this is really exciting stuff. And so for me, man, that opening game, just seeing Dame go nuts in that second quarter, I, I believe it was, where he scored like 14 in three minutes. And it's just like, they, didn't, they never had this. And now they do. And it's really exciting stuff. That was a game that Milwaukee loses any other season. Yeah. Like Giannis is not scoring well in the half court. Yep. The role players were like doing their part, but they weren't hitting an overwhelming amount of threes. They would put Milwaukee over the top. And Middleton, as you said, like, because his ramp up and the minutes limit, just like wasn't a That's factor and wasn't in the by game. The, way. the fact that this dude's at 16 minutes on opening night is like, Jesus, dude. You have to hope that that's them kind of slow playing it, knowing, I mean, he is crucial to their season. Yes. Absolutely crucial to their season. So hopefully they're just being a little conservative in trying to ramp him up. But when all of those things have happened historically, the Bucks lose. They lose a game like this against a team like the Sixers. And because of Damian Lillard, they did not. And it, it really is that simple. This was a good stat from our friend Kevin Pelton at ESPN. Uh, Giannis was a minus 13 
in this game, the second worst in a Bucks win since his emergence as an MVP. That's because Dame was a plus 13. And so this wasn't because Giannis was bad, which he was not. No. It's just because Dame was playing the minutes that Giannis was not on the floor for. And Dame is so goddamn good that those minutes are actually a plus now. And that's the thing. Like we, We've talked so much about them in the pick and roll and how they're going to benefit each other. I don't think we've given enough airtime to the fact that when Giannis is out and rests, now you just run a Damian Lillard so, offense. So just looks like the, the Blazers. Thing, yeah. when, I, when people who are skeptical were just like, "Yo, they're really thin." I'm like, "But guys, like, they're gonna be at, have Giannis lineups, Middleton lineups, Dame lineups. Like, this shit is gonna work on offense. It's going to oh, yeah. work." And then you know, because again, it's just one game, and and we don't need to blow it out of proportion. But because it's so new. They had enough shooting out there for Giannis. He was just missing open shooters, right? And this is something that Giannis has become pretty damn good at, man. Getting Going downhill, getting that ball out quick before they try mm-hmm. to draw that charge on him to a to an open shooter. And these are good shooters they're putting around Giannis. So once he starts hitting those, and defenses have to react to that too, it's, it's going to be quite, quite, quite the sight. Yeah, it's more of a defensive concern at this point. Yes, and honestly, like absolutely. we might as well just fast forward to the playoffs because I don't know if we'll get a lot of interesting data points throughout them uh, about know. them throughout the right. I, I mean, about, we about will the role players for sure. Sure, if like a Bochamp all of a yeah. sudden looks great, you want to rob me of Bochamp minutes? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Maybe a little Thanasis time. Um, <laughs> Thanasis. Well. Why don't we go to my last one I have on here, which is the 0-3 Memphis Grizzlies, who at the time of this recording on Sunday They look morning, more the like the 0-3. Memphis Glizzies. You're right about that, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that's Freudian slip, I guess. Uh, now, the opening schedule has been difficult for the most part. It was the Pelicans, it was the Nuggets, and then a back-to-back on the road in Washington Having said that, it was also the Wizards in a game yeah. where like the Wizards basically blew them off the court and it seemed like they were just trying to catch up to the power that is Corey Kispert. I was about to say, shooting, it, was, it wasn't off. just that they got blown off the court by the Wizards, but a Corey Kispert driven offense wrecked the Memphis <laughs> oh, Grizzlies. to contain him. Yeah. Uh, so, also, I mean, we got our first Jordan Poole shoots a three, looks at the opposing bench as if it's already <laughs> going in and then it clanks. Of the That was... Oh, that is the perfect Jordan Poole play ever. Yeah. You know, I I tried to defend Jordan Poole ever so slightly on Bill's pod the other day because I watched the season opener and I thought he was actually pretty responsible and showed some restraint. Yeah. And I was immediately punished. 29 minutes. Yeah. Immediately punished for that decision. So uh, I, I rescind every nice thing I've ever said about Jordan Poole. So with the Grizzlies, the issue is obviously the injuries. So they start now Bane, Smart, Zaire Williams, Xavier Tillman, and Jaron Jackson Jr. out for them right now because Luke Kennard and Santi Aldama are both out with minor Jesus. injuries. They'll be back soon. It's basically Jock, Kennard, Aldama, Brendan Clark, Stephen Adams, and our yeah. friend Chris Harrington at the Daily Memphian pretty much pointed out this is like an inner squad scrimmage. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. They're they're out an entire line of players. I think the thing that's been most distressing and concerning for me is that the Grizzlies do not look like a Grizzlies team. You would hope that even though all of these different names are out that we're used to, that there would just be a Grizzly DNA, like a werebearer sort of situation, I guess is what I'm constructing here. That like 
they would still be able to do certain things that the Grizzlies are accustomed to doing. First and foremost, rebounding the basketball, which they were one of the best teams in the NBA last season. They are now quite bad this year. And it just seems like they're relying on the three ball way too much to the point where like it seems like they were trying to mask and catch up to the Wizards as opposed to the Wizards having to conform to what a Grizzlies team has been doing. And that's like historically what we're used to seeing. And so on the one hand, it's early disclaimer, et cetera, et cetera. On the other hand, like the cavalry isn't really coming for a little no. while here until Ja comes back in what December. I believe. Yeah, but is Brandon so, Clark coming back know. this year? I don't yeah, think so. TBD. We don't I know. Think, yeah. I, I, don't, so, I haven't seen any affirmation that he is. They don't that have way. that athleticism from him. Th- that which is just downright hard to be replicated at his position. The space eating nature of Steven Adams, like, yes, he's not, you know, a spring chicken anymore, right? Like he was in OKC, those OKC days where, man, this 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 guy was switching out against Steph Curry in 2016. That's the type of shit Steven Adams used to do. Um, I, but obviously, like all of the stuff he does on screens and just as a rebounder and space creator on that end, like you, you can't replicate that. And it's not coming back. And these are not things you can just replace, man. You know, Ben Smack Biombo is it, like that. That's not yeah. the kind of there's thing the that, cavalry. That's that's the help that they're going to get. The cavalry. Yeah, the, and Bismack we were saying before we came out here, signing Bismack typically is a sign that something is going wrong with your season. A guy who plays like he's got oven mitts on. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> That's why I'm kind of stuck. Like Bismack Biombo is a is a worthy roster player for an NBA team. I don't really have a problem with him being on the Grizzlies or them looking to him for front court depth. Problem's like he it. deserves a job. Come on, he deserves a job. But they're the problem is their offense is awful. Like it's yeah. very it's very bad. And Bismack Biombo does nothing to fix that situation at all. I mean, no. nor should he be expected to no, as no, a guy is being brought in not. midseason at this point. But I think what's hard for them is they don't have any way to stack actions. Like some of the three-point reliance you're talking about, Justin, is there's no flow. Like they don't drive and kick to a cutter who kicks to a shooter who swings to an even more open shooter. It's like one guy, Jaron Jackson Jr. will try to drive, not really get anywhere, get stuck, pass it to Desmond Bain who tries to drive, he gets stopped. And then it's like you just have this idling offense and these possessions that don't go anywhere. And then someone jacks up a, a three because you have to shoot something. So it, I don't even think it's a matter of like wh- how they're taking their shots. It's that their shots aren't coming from anywhere. Uh, they are sixth to last, I believe. One, two, three, four. Sixth to last in paint touches in Oof. the NBA right now. One spot above the Washington Wizards. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's not great. One of the things that just categorically did not work in this Wizards game was playing David Roddy as a small ball four. You know, they're they're trying to create space. They're trying to do what they can with the roster that they have. But these are the players, right? It's it's David Roddy. It's Jake LaRavia. Kenny Lofton Jr. got into this game and pancake blocked. I think it was it was a Daylon Wright. I think on the, on the Wizards just like straight ran into him and decked him. Because they were like, I, I, let, let's see what we can get from Kenny Lofton Jr. tonight. That, that's yeah. where we're at as an organization. It's it's tough times. It's tough times when for, when for Memphis When your right lineups now. are in dire need of Luke Kennard, it, it, it's dark. It, it's dark out there. Yeah. Um, Waz, you want to go for your last one? Man, we, we talked about this in our preview pod. Um one of the reasons why Rob was was not as bullish on this team as I was was injury. And look, man, I know they're saying all the right things in Phoenix right now where it's like, oh, it's just precaution and this and this and that. But like, 
Bradley Beal has not played a game to start the season. Devin Booker plays an outstanding game against Golden State. And then it's like, yo, he can't play the next two, probably the next three. This is a problem. Look, they 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 went crazy last night and were able to win. And good for them. Kudos to them on that. But man, this is really scary to me. This early in the season that Devin Booker's toe is already giving him an issue after one freaking game. And Bradley Beal can't even get on the court yet after one preseason game. So, yeah, this is, I don't want to say it's panic time. But, like, this idea that, oh, we're just being precautious, I'm not buying it. I think these guys are legitimately already feeling it. Waz, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. This is what we do over here. I, like, I just nervous. stay up nights worrying about Bradley Beal's back. Like, that, that's where I'm at. Like, how much can we rely on these guys to be healthy? And I, I suspect some of what we're seeing right now is... Phoenix playing it safe with Beal's back and Booker's foot sprain. Like, they would be foolish not to. But also, they've built their entire operation around players you have to play it safe with. And eventually, history tells us that usually catches up to you. Maybe maybe you can catch lightning in the bottle. bottle. Everyone will be healthy at the right time. You can make an incredible... Like The three of them are going to be incredible together. I just don't think it does anyone any good to pretend that them getting hurt so often is not and will not be a factor. So I'm watching this Laker game. What was that, Friday? Or was it Thursday? Thursday. 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 And I'm like, man, this team is like competent. KD is so great that he can make an offense downright competent literally by himself. Like, Booker and, and, and Beal on this, like, you see the vision, right? When, when it's happening without them. But, like, at a certain point, you have to put this shit on tape. You have to put this on the floor. And also, another thing about it, as talented as these guys are, talented as they are, I'm not somebody who believes you can just manufacture continuity in the biggest spots of your season in the playoffs. At a certain point, you guys are going to have to do stuff together. Build some trust and some chemistry. With the Suns. Yeah. Yeah. Like at a certain point, you're going to actually have to do this as a unit, right? You're going to have to string together six, seven games at a time where you guys are like actually playing together. And so that's, that's something that I think is, a, it's like, all right, let's just say you bandage these guys up you or you put them in bubble, like bubble boy, up until the postseason. All right, congratulations. Everybody made it to the postseason. Now y'all actually have to figure out how to beat the best teams in the league. I Like, man, this is... This is concerning for me earlier. Somebody who's pretty bullish on the talent level of what they put together over there in Phoenix. Yeah, and you alluded to it. They clean things up against the Jazz, who we should know have oh, many of their the own jazz. issues. But uh, they, they absolutely whacked the Jazz and didn't yeah. even have to really try very hard to do it. And that's the that's the advantage to having Kevin Durant just like in reserve. The, the issue would be, of course, like you don't want to waste too many of those Kevin Durant like just awesome games because you don't know how many he has in his legs or how much you want to really put the stress on him this early in the season. Uh, I will say though, I was getting particularly concerned before that game because like the no point guard thing was like, I think it could work when you have a Beal in the booker, but over the first two games, 43 turnovers in total. Yeah. 
I think so, they have the highest turnover rate in the league so far, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think they only turned it over like 11 times against the Jazz, which is like respectable. It's not just atrocious like it was before. Grayson Allen Cruz not exactly lighting it up at point guard, <laughs> yo. I personally love the Yuta Wananabe like showcase. Uh, I'm Me not too. sure how much it leads to winning basketball, but it, it's fun for now as long as those guys can come back and and, and take over those minutes. He, I mean, Yuta's been good in pretty limited minutes. I think otherwise, in terms of the supporting guys, as we talked about last time, like Josh Okogie looks like essential personnel right now based on like this version of the team, but like hey his man, effort and rebounding. Look at what he's doing on the boards. Look at what he's doing on defense. He's he's made a few shots, which is just like, whoa, and he's shooting it confidently. Look, he seems like a good player at this point, you know? Oh yeah, I don't, I don't mean to talk down to him or the Suns in saying that. Like, I just think he's very important to them. He's been yes, very good. Yes. Other than him, like Eric Gordon's shot hasn't been there, but I think his driving think is really coming. important. Yeah. The, especially to this kind of shorthanded version of the Suns, him getting to the basket has been pretty important. Yusuf Nurkic, I think, has been fine. Uh, Drew Eubanks has been so okay to solid, if like a little too foul prone. Other than that, like not a lot of bright spots in the supporting cast, which I think is kind of how we get to this point. And that point, ultimately, despite all our, our pessimism, is two and one. Like they had a, a really good win over the Warriors mm. when Booker was out there. As we said, they they just crushed the Jazz. And they lost to a Lakers team that probably should have beaten them given who was available in that game. And also, they only really lost when LeBron cranked it up. Yeah. So I, it, it's not a disaster start. It's just discouraging to already see guys missing multiple games at this point. Well, speaking of reserves who are excelling beyond our expectations, Rob, can you please finish off your Jalen triple-decker sandwich? <laughs> Tic-tac-toe. Jalen Duran, Jalen Brunson, Jalen Johnson, the Atlanta Hawks own Jalen Johnson, has played in a way where I can kind of understand why the Hawks would look at their roster and say, maybe we don't need John Collins so much because we have this other, you know, we have John Collins at home, so to speak. Jalen Johnson, just such an incredible bright spot for a thus far winless Hawks team. One of the best highlight artists of the early season probably some of the, the dunks of the year candidates on the books already just looks incredible out in transition, handling the ball, giving them like a jolt, you know, a, a Hawks team that honestly needs that from time to time, giving them like a bolt of lightning for a team that can otherwise be a little bit flat. And I think that's just invaluable. Like what he gives them in terms of dynamism and athleticism. And again, he's coming off the bench, but he fits so well. And some of Atlanta's best lineups to this point have been the Jalen Johnson, a Kongwu, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich lineups, like those things have been working out pretty well. And a lot of it is because this guy is coming in and converting everything within five feet of the basket. He doesn't have the shot and that's going to be an issue in terms of how he plugs into like their more starting oriented lineups and those kind of like game finishing lineups. But what he gives you as an energy player, as a, you know, a, a fairly versatile defender, even at this early stage in his career, as a finisher and as a guy who just like has an intuitive sense of how to play, Man, he's been incredibly impressive to the point that it's getting hard to take him off the floor. Like he's playing damn near thirty minutes a game because he's like, how do you how do you not play a guy like that? Are there any other Jalen's you want to hit before we go here? I mean, there are so Jaylen many Jalen's. 
Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, <laughs> like this Jaylen is your Daniels. this is your definitive podcast for all things Jalen. Like we know our J Wills from our J Dubs around here. We know our we ha- you know have a long history <laughs> with our friend Jalen Green. Um, actually, Jalen Smith. If we want to go deeper, cut on Jaylen the Jalen. Jalen yeah. Smith has actually been pretty nice for the Pacers. Like the shot is looking really good. Yeah. Rebounder, like impact defender around the rim sometimes. But, uh, you know, it's a big year for Jalen's. I'll say Pace that. Pace is looking nice, by the way. I'm sure we'll Very get to nice. them pretty soon. But Pace is Apparently looking Apparently there's a guy nice. named Jalen Pickett. Oh, he's, you, he's you just, on the Nuggets. Good for him. You're just, Google, you're just Googling Jalen's? <laughs> just naming some Jalen's <laughs> NBA Jalen's. Jalen watch. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap it there. Uh, thank you to Jack Sanders on production. Thank you to Ben Cruz. We'll be back on Wednesday. We'll see you then. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.